Great to be here. Tonight we want to go a little bit on the, it might seem like a uh, review, but you know, God has delivered me from the fear of repetition, right? Because you know there's only one Bible, and once you've read it once, doesn't mean you know it. It means you need to read it again and again and again and again, and when you're done reading it, read it again, because as we, as we read it, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, in our society, we tend to go, as, human, as humans, we tend to go from balance to out of balance, back through balance to out of balance, and then back through balance to out of balance again. And we as humans tend to do that, right? Y'all realize that, right? We tend to be extreme in our, in our view of things. And the same thing, and that's true with, with our Christian life too. For, for many years, doctrine was of utmost importance, and it got to the point where doct we were so doctrinally sound, and we, we thought we were doctrinally sound, and it got to the point where they had organized the Holy Spirit right out of the church, right? Where it had become all just dogma or doctrine, and there was no room for the Holy Spirit to move. And then God, in his, in his wisdom, brought people revelation, knowledge, and they brought it back through, and it became balanced, and then it went too far, and it went way over here, and then they threw doctrine out the window and said, woo, it's all Holy Ghost, right? And then it was foolishness, barking at the moon, and all kinds of crazy stuff going on all over the place. And then God says, whoa, 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 that's a little bit too far, come on, come back here, come back to, come back to the word, come back to balance. And here, here's the reality is that we tend to, to swing in, in our focuses in life as humans. And we all, we're all subject to that temptation. So what's the one thing that keeps us grounded is the Word of God. The Word of God keeps us grounded. Because if it was just dogma and, and doctrine and making sure all your doctrine was perfect, then the Apostle Paul would have been a great Christian. However, he wasn't even saved until Damascus. But he had great doctrine. He had memorized the first five books of the Bible, right? He had the Torah memorized. He was a scribe, trained under Gamaliel, the, a Benjaminite of the, tri, of the house of Israel. Paul, his name was Saul, but he became Paul, was a, had terrific doctrine if you were going to be an Orthodox Jew. However, he didn't have love. He didn't have Jesus, the Savior, as his Messiah. So all that doc doctrine and dogma didn't help him until he met the author, and that's Jesus, right? Until he, until he brought the, the Son of God, the, the Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, came into his life, and then he became Paul, and he evangelized the world. So as we look at this, some in the, the, the church at large, not, I'm not talking about this church, I'm talking about the body of Christ, have taken the position that, well, doctrine's of no value and we need to just have experiences and they're way over here. And, and that is, is trouble. Long term, that will get you in all kinds of trouble, trouble because experiences are great and experiences are fun, but unless they're founded and based upon the word of God, they're of no value. 
See, you can't just have the goosebumps without the reason for the goosebumps. Okay, you gotta have the purpose. So if, if, all, if all we are seeking is, is experiences, then we are gonna be subject to all kinds of deception. So we've gotta get back to what does the word of God say? Why do we, what do we believe? Why do we believe what we believe? And what's its basis? So I know that sounds like an awful lot to cover in the next 30 minutes. I'm gonna hit a couple main things, a couple main truths, and why they are non-negotiable in your faith. For instance, there's a, there's a, a, a group that seems to think that doctrine needs to be flexible and that there's no absolutes, right? That it needs to be flexible with society and that there's no absolutes in our lives. That if society says you don't need to be married to have sexual relations, then that's okay. If society says two men can marry each other, then it's okay. That's what this, there's a, a pretty large segment of our society that thinks that way. However, that's not what the Bible says. Okay, so you gotta know what the Bible says, what we believe, and why we believe it. Because even a trampoline has a rigid frame or it won't bounce. Y'all know what I mean? Even a trampoline, which is flexible, has a rigid frame. Did you ever try to bounce on a trampoline when one of the legs was broke? It just kind of flops around and you can't get any spring out of it, right? Because it needs a rigid frame, stretched taut, and then it will function. See, so we've got to have some absolutes in our life. We've got to have some absolutes. See, when 40 years ago when I was in high school, I know that seems like a long time ago, but 40 years ago when I was in high school, we discussed this in my Reformed Doctrine class, and back then they called it situational ethics. Anybody ever heard of that? Situational ethics? That's how they used to describe what I'm referring to, the fact that our society tends to want to say um, truth has evolved over time. We've become more enlightened over time, or that, that truth somehow evolves. Well, interpretation of some truth may, um, and the methods may evolve, but the truth does not evolve because truth is, is the same and truth is truth. Truth is absolute. So there's some things that are just true. Why are they true? Because the Bible says they're true. For instance, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick a couple of them. The word of God is inspired. The, the, the Bible is God's word, infallible in the original language, which means it's without error or contradiction. The word of God, the Bible, is without error and without contradiction in the original languages. Now, somebody says, well, how come the NIV says this and the New King James says this and the Amplified says this and the message says this? You gotta go back to the original languages and you'll realize that the NIV, the, N the NKJV, the New English Standard Bible, and the paraphrases like the message and the living Bible they're subject to the people's interpretation that took it from the original language. But in its original language, it's the same because 
There's only one of those in the original language. And the word of God is without fail, it's without error, and without contradiction in the original language. The word of God is of more significance. The word of God, the Bible, is of more importance than reason. Someone says, well, it doesn't seem reasonable that you gotta accept Jesus or you go to hell. It may not seem reasonable, but it's true. There's one way to get to heaven, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one door, one faith, and, his, and that door's name is Jesus Christ. Now, does that, there's many people that think that's unreasonable. That's fine if you think it's unreasonable. However, it's still true. See, there's only one way. See, and the Bible is superior to someone's conscience. Someone says, well, I just can't, I can't accept the fact that a loving God would send someone to hell. I can't accept that, and therefore, what they're doing when they say that is they're saying they're more righteous than God. They're, 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 they're saying, I am smarter than God when someone says, how could a loving God ever send someone to hell? Number one, God never sends anyone to hell. God has provided a way for them to go to heaven. And the only reason anyone goes to hell is because they refuse to accept the salvation that's offered to all men through Jesus Christ. That's why. So, so, so for someone to say, how could a loving God send someone to hell? You're, you're starting with an assumption there, and that's the problem. God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go their own way and thereby suffer the results of that choice. God has provided a way out. God has provided a savior. His name is Jesus. Accept him. He is the only way out. So that, that is the answer to that. See, many times people have these assumptions and they say, well, the Bible's full of contradictions. You'll hear that. I've heard that from people. Well, I don't even read the Bible. It's full of contradictions. I can guarantee you the Bible does not have one contradiction in it. Why? Because it's God's word. And someone, there's always a few people that say, well, you're just ignorant. You just believe whatever that book says. I said, no, I am wise because I believe everything that book says. Because it's God's word. See, you've got to come to the point where you're either going to believe the Bible or you're not. It either is God's word or it's not to you. And I would really submit to you the Bible is God's word, and that's, an, that's a non-negotiable. It's a non-negotiable. This is not subject to opinion. It's God's word. It survived the test of time for thousands of years, written by dozens and dozens of writers through hundreds and thousands of years, and yet it survived hundreds and thousands of years. <coughs> And yet it stands as the best-selling, most-read book in the world. How could that be? It's because it's God's Word. It's God's Word. That's why. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. The only thing that can divide between soul and spirit is the Word of God. That's what Hebrews 4.12 says. That's the only thing that can divide between the spirit and the soul is God's Word. There's only one God. Another thing that's non-negotiable. There is only one God. His name is, is, comes in many forms like Jehovah, 
Elohim, El Shaddai, many names in the Bible, but ultimately, he is the one true God, Jehovah. It's Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Rapha. Just throw it, toss it to me, it's fine. Woo, that was a good throw. <clears throat> but it comes in many names, but there's one true God. He's revealed himself as self-existent, self-revealed, and his name is I Am. When, when, when Moses said, who shall I say sent me? He said, tell them I am. Now what kind of an answer is that, I am? Not I was, not I will be, I am. It's, an, it's a present progressive, always in the present tense, always existent, always in the present tense, never in the past tense, always right now, that's who God is. He is the always right now God. And he has revealed himself and he exists concurrently in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I've heard many people, you know, I've heard people argue and want to say, well, the word Trinity never appears in the Bible. Okay. But the Father is referenced, the Son is referenced, and the Holy Spirit is referenced many, many, many times. And it says in Deuteronomy, behold, the Lord your God, he is one. So it's one God manifested in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission. says, go ye therefore into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, make your disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, everybody together, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, or Holy Spirit. See, it's one God manifested in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What's it, man, and there's, then there's the next one, man, man is basically good. And I would say to that, man was created good, but he became bad. When he ate of the tree, when he disobeyed God, when he had, when he had his rebellion in the garden and he ate of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, he became separated from God and he, he fell and he died spiritually and he became bad or had a sin nature. So in and of ourselves, we are not good. Jesus even says it, no one is good but God. Even Pastor Jeannie, as good as she is, she's not good on her own. Even my wife, as wonderful as she is, she's not good on her own. Just by herself, she's not good. Why? Because no one is good on their own. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. There's not a person on the planet that has earned the right to be with God forever in heaven. We all have sinned. We've all fallen short. All you have to do to realize that we as humans are fallen and that we have a sin nature is just be around a baby for just a little while. As cute as babies are. I've got one grandbaby, and she's, oh my gosh, she's so cute. But you know, today, she came in my office, and I tried to hold her, and she looked at me, and she went, eee. She gave me that. First time she ever did this to me, I was heartbroken. I said, what? You don't love Papa today? 
She didn't love Papa today. She was cranky. She screamed at me. I said, you're breaking Papa's heart. Come on. She just did that to me. She probably had a tummy ache or something. I don't know. But when a child is very young, their mother has just gone through childbirth. Their mother has carried them. She's tired. She's gone through the whole childbirth routine. And that baby, when that baby wants to eat, it screams until somebody gets up at 2 a.m. and feeds that baby, even if mama hasn't slept. It's not concerned about its mama. All it's concerned about is me, right? There is a selfish sin nature embedded in all of us, and it starts when the day we're born. And it doesn't get broken until probably the day we die, unless we crucify it ourselves by the grace of God. But otherwise, we're all just naturally selfish. Others are more selfish than some, but innately, we're all fallen, and we all are selfish if we don't, unless we've given our lives to the Lord and we purposefully aren't selfish, our natural default selection is to be self-serving and selfish. Because man is by himself fallen and hopeless without God. There's only one way for you to get saved, and that's to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. One way. See, for years, for years myself, I grew up in a home and I went to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, and on Tuesday night, we had catechism. I mean, that was my, I went to Christian school five days a week. I memorized Bible verses every day. I mean, it was like, we were a Bible verse memorizing machine house. That was, that was my dad just made us memorize Bible verses. I'm thankful, but all the while growing up, it was just, it was activity for me. It wasn't real. I was 21 years old and I was lost as a goose in the fog. I didn't know God. I had all the right doctrines. I could recite all the right verses because I'd memorized them up here. But in, so just, just doctrine and just knowing the right things isn't the answer, but you still need to know the right things. So I'm not saying throw out dogma, throw out um, doctrine. I'm saying I had all the right doctrines. I, for the most part, I knew the answers to all the questions. You'd asked me the question, I'd have answered it. But it wasn't until it made that transition from head knowledge to heart transformation that I was really born again. See, and that's the process that, need, that we need to, to allow that to take place, that 18-inch journey from your head knowledge to heart revelation. See, to, to have the right doctrine is essential, but to have the right doctrine and to, to receive it as truth for yourself, to have the revelation knowledge and to be born again and to accept Jesus Christ as your personal, as your Lord and Savior, not just the Savior of the world, but your Savior. That's, that's it's vital. It's, it's so important. That's, without that, you don't have salvation. That, that day when I was on Western's campus and that person confronted me, I had a friend confront me and asked me if I, was, if I died, what would happen? And I said, well, I'd go to heaven. And he said, really, why? And I said, because Jesus died for my sins. He goes, really? So you think that Jesus died for your sins? I said, yeah, he did, on a cross. And he rose from the dead and 
I knew all the right answers. And he goes, really? So you would consider yourself a Christian then? And I said, well, yeah. He looked at me and he goes, well, then why don't you act like it? I was like, what does that mean? And so that began my journey toward a revelation of who Jesus really was, and more than just out of a, out of a learning doctrine and, and a real life experience where I was born again shortly thereafter. And that, that experience is, is kind of where I'm trying to get us today, where we say, I, I get it. Doctrine's important. It needs to come alive in your heart. We need to have the right doctrines, but at that same doctrine, it needs to come alive in your heart through the realization that Jesus is the only way, that without Jesus, we are all lost. Without him as our savior, without him as the one that directs our steps, we are lost. Well, how do we know if someone's really saved? I, I hear this a lot. Well, if they were really saved, they wouldn't act like that. I, I have to tell you that a lot of saved people do a lot of really dumb things. Because just because you're saved doesn't mean you do everything right all the time. Um, unfortunately, we as saved people sometimes do some pretty ungodly things. And then we have to repent. Okay? So what are the evidences of someone's salvation? Well, the evidence of someone's salvation, first of all, is an inward witness that whereby that spirit whereby we cry, Abba, Father, right? Romans chapter 8, verse 15. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are his children. That spirit whereby we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. You know in your heart whether you are, whether you've been born again. You, you have a, your spirit bears witness with God. Your God's spirit bears witness with you that you are saved. What are some of the other what are some of the other fruits of repentance? A life change will happen. See, but that outward, that outward life change, when that guy said to me, why don't you act like it? You know what? Very soon, almost immediately after I was born again, my life began to change. But it didn't begin to change because I struggled really hard to change. It changed because my desires and my heart changed. God changed my life because I didn't want to do the things that I was doing before. As Pastor Duane puts it, my want to are changed, right? Now, before, before, right before I accepted the Lord, I would go and, and go to the club with my friends and drink and do things that were bad. But as soon as, it's literally, as soon as I got saved, I said, I don't want to do that anymore. And no one said, you can't do that. No one said to me, you can't do that, because there was nobody there. My heart said, I don't want to do that. See, my want to her changed. So what is the evidence that you've been saved? Your want to her changes. Now, does it mean you'll never sin again? I wish that's what it meant. But unfortunately, you still have the opportunity to sin after you've made Jesus Lord of your life. But the, still, the fruit is there. The fruit that when you do blow it, you repent. When you do make a mistake, when you do the wrong thing, the Holy Spirit convicts you, not condemns you. Con condemnation is you're bad, you're scum. That's condemnation. Holy Spirit says, hey, 
that was not right and you need to make that right. That's conviction and that's a good thing, right? Condemnation is that wasn't right, you're not even saved and God's mad at you. That's condemnation and that's not from God. So when, if you hear that and if that's in your heart, you need to reject that because God isn't mad at you and that you're not a, you're not a horrible person. You just need to make whatever it is you did, make it right. Repent, turn from it, and make it right. So the, the reality of who you are in Christ, the reality of it is you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, a brand new species of being. It's not like you're, a, 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 it's not like you're an old couch with a new cover. Y'all seen that? You got an old couch with bad springs, throw a new cover on it, still sits terrible, right? This looks better. That's not what you are. You're a whole new, brand new, awesome, newly created from the bottom up, inside out, brand new creature. And you're renewed day by day. You're, you're renewed every day by the word, if you choose to be. See, it's super important that we know what we believe, why we believe, but then act on it. Not just believe it, but act on what we believe. Live like it's true. Live like Jesus really is coming back. Live like Jesus really is the king of the world. Live like Jesus really said that we could lay hands on the sick and they recover. Live like Jesus really said that we do great things and that we can, we can speak to the mountain and the mountain will be removed and cast into the sea. Live like that. I mean, as we live our lives, the, the things we believe, the doctrine, it's important. But living it and, and recognizing what we believe and living like it's true is of what's so it's so vitally important to our lives. It's what makes life fun. You know, from the day before I accepted Jesus Christ and made Jesus Christ Lord of my life, the day before I did that, I mentally assented to 95% of all the doctrines that I'm talking about tonight. I, I believed they were true, but they didn't change my life until I made Jesus Lord of my life and I repented and I said, Jesus, you're Lord of my life. I call you Lord. And what ended up happening is all those things that I had learned as doctrine or dogma, they came alive on the inside of me. And they're, they're still doctrine, but they came alive as truth. And they come alive as truth when you make Jesus Lord of your life and you ask the Holy Spirit, to bring all those things that we believe, bring them into truth or bring them to life. Breathe life upon them. There's many other things I could talk about. I want to talk about one more thing. Why it's important that Jesus was born of a virgin. They say, why in the world do you want to talk about that? Because it's, it's been assaulted so many times on so many levels, and people are always assaulting it, and they're saying, oh, Jesus was, Jesus was this, and Jesus was that. Jesus was born of a virgin. 
Her name was Mary. And here's the reality of it. I, did, I just really feel like I need to, need to give you a, just a brief overview of what this is all about. The first thing, in Isaiah 7 it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Now why is, why is it important that Jesus was born of a virgin? How about because in Isaiah God said that there would be a virgin that would conceive and bear a son and his name was gonna be called Emmanuel which means God with us. Just, just that alone, God said it was gonna happen. That's a, that's a, he was born of a virgin. Now, Matthew 1.18, it says that this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came to be. Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, which means before they had any intercourse, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. That's what it says, God's word, okay? Joseph was gonna put away Mary because he thought she'd been unfaithful to him, but then an angel said, he appeared to him and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, confirmed again in another place in Scripture. See, in human, in like in the way that we as humans are conceived, it's, real, it's important to, to, to just bring this into the human side of things here. In the human condition, the blood of the child is derived entirely from the Father. It's just really important to know that. The blood of the child is derived from the Father. Not from the mother, it's derived from the Father. So why is that important? Because in the beginning when Adam and Eve sinned, it says the sins of the fathers are passed down to the third and the fourth generation. So sin is passed down through the Father's lineage, through the blood. Jesus didn't have human man blood tanned with sin. Jesus had holy heaven's blood in his veins because his Father was God. His Father, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb without having intercourse just placed in there by the Holy Spirit. See, it was not a human conception. It was an immaculate conception or a God, Holy Spirit conception. It had nothing to do with sex. It was about a supernatural conception. When Jesus was born, he didn't have any man's blood. He had God's blood. It was untainted it was holy. If he had had man's blood, if Joseph had really been his earthly father, if he was conceived of a man, he would have had sin in his nature and he would not have been able to die for all of mankind. That's why it's important. When someone says, well, what difference does it make if Jesus was born of a virgin or not? It's a very important difference. Because if he was not born of a virgin, he could not have saved the world. If he was not. If he was born of a man, he would have had to die for his own sin. But because he was born of a virgin, he didn't have sin in him. He was not a sin nature person. He was sinless. He never once committed a sin. 
How could he do that? Because he didn't have that sin nature in him. He had God's nature. So when he said he was the son of God, he was telling the truth. When he said he was the son of man, he was telling the truth. Because his body was formed inside Mary's womb. He was formed just like all of us. In the, in the womb, attached to a placenta, nourished through that placenta, his whole gestation period. See, all that was just like us. However, he did not have man's sin-tainted blood in his veins. He had God's blood in his veins. See, it's important. See, why, well, why'd you go through all that? You took eight minutes to talk to us about whether Jesus was born of a virgin. I could take a, two hours and talk about why it's important that Jesus was born of a virgin because it's that important. See, so when, I don't want you to go argue with people. That's not why I'm doing this. I don't want you to say, well, I know now. I want to go argue. So don't go argue. But when someone says, I don't believe Jesus was born of a virgin, say, well, then are you not saved? Because, you know, if you don't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, how could you believe that he died for your sins? I guess you're still lost in your sin then, huh? Because it's that important. It's important. He didn't say he was, that Jesus was going to be born of a virgin because it wasn't important. He said it because it was important. See, God doesn't put things in the Bible just to fill up space. He puts them in there because it's important. Okay? So he prophesied in Isaiah that, it, that Jesus was going to be born of a virgin, and he was born of a virgin. He was born of a virgin, and that's a wonderful, wonderful truth that we've got to just continue to understand and remember. So to end tonight... I want us just to go through, and we're going to read together the Apostles' Creed. Say, what, what in the world are we going to read the Apostles' Creed for? Just because it's the foundation of much, of most, of this century's, our current doctrine. You can, it's, all, it's all in there. So uh, what I want you to do is I want you to read it with me. We're all going to read it together. Y'all can read that, right? It's not too little or anything. Let's read it together. Start, come on, lift your voices with me and let's read it together. I believe in the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That confession, the, what's called the Apostles' Creed, which was the, one, of the, one of the, if not the earliest, codification of all the important doctrines of the early Christian church, still holds true today. 140 AD is when they believed this, this doctrine was codified and accepted as a universal creed. And by the way, when they said, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, they're not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. They're talking about 
Yeah, the little, little C Catholic church, not the big C Catholic church, right? They're talking about the universal church or the church at large or the body of Christ. So that confession is a foundational truth that really covers all of our, of our, uh, of our doctrine. It's a summary. It'd be like a summary mission statement for the church of what we believe and why we believe it. See, so I just wanted to cover this tonight. I wanted to really talk about a couple very important non-negotiables. There's lots of other non-negotiables. I would encourage you to get into the Word, to read, to go through, find the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed is awesome also. It's, it's, it's amazing, very great explanations. Do some research on your own. Look at this stuff. Look at our history and, and the, 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 the places where hundreds and hundreds of our forefathers gathered and they went through and really labored over doctrines and weeded out false doctrines and kept the faith pure for thousands of years. It's amazing. So don't, don't think that doctrine's not important and don't think that the, the reality of the Holy Spirit and experiences aren't important. They're both important. So I would say instead of saying either or, I would say both and. They're all important as we go forward. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you for revelation knowledge of your truth. We ask, Father, that you would continue to give each of us uh, a glimpse of your truth, of your goodness, of your grace, of everything that you have for us in your word as we read your word. In Jesus' name, amen.